Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. Have you ever seen God's power on display? We're singing about that. Uh, maybe in creation, maybe in your life, maybe uh, in a ministry you've been, been a part of. I remember one of those aha moments where I really saw the work of God that was occurring. And it was on a mission trip that I was a part of as we were going to Africa for the summer. And there were three particular moments. There was just a lot God did in that trip, but there were three particular moments. Uh, one, I didn't know if I would be able to go on that uh, trip, uh, but the day that our final payment was due, um, there was a $500 check in the mailbox at the seminary uh, where I received my mail that paid exactly the amount that I needed to be able to go on the trip. And that was a pretty remarkable thing. And then while we were in Africa, we were in Nairobi, we were at the airport, we were ready to go into Madagascar, and there were two teams. There was a soccer team that was not a uh, mission group, and then there was a basketball team that was a mission group, and the airline thought they had just one team, and somebody had double booked it, so they canceled the seats for one team, and they were over there saying, okay, we only have room for one. Who's going to stay home? Who's going to go? And it came down literally to the flip of a coin, and our coach, Coach Mike, said, you guys need to pray or we're going to be stuck here in Nairobi, and we're not going to be able to go to the place where they're expecting us to do the work that we're supposed to be doing. And so it literally came down to a coin flip, and our team won the sovereign coin flip. Um, And then, to top it all off, uh, while we were there in in Antananarivo, Madagascar, we were playing basketball, and we were in an arena, and there were thousands of people there. We were playing their national team, and it was kind of one of those hard games. A lot of our team had been sick, uh, just gotten sick because of kind of uh, not being familiar and acclimated with the food and the water and all those sorts of things. But it was also a challenging game because, you know, one goal was like nine feet, eight inches tall, and the other was like 10 feet, four inches tall, and there were boards missing on some of the wood floor, and some of the places where you'd bounce the ball, the ball wouldn't come back to you, and it it was just kind of a hard experience, to be quite honest with you, and I think there were a lot of us that wanted to give up, and a lot of us that were unsure, and a lot of us that wondered what God could do and all of that, but I remember at the end of the uh, basketball game, we invited people outside where the mission team had purchased uh, a bread truck to come with literally just thousands of loaves of bread, and in the second poorest country at the time, you can imagine what, you know, bread would mean. And so as we stood there handing out bread, my coach handed me a megaphone and said, get up there and say something to them. And so I got in the back of that truck and I was translating or I was speaking and then a translator would translate into French and then another translator would translate into Malagasy, the language of that uh, uh, nation. And so it was just incredibly difficult to understand anything at all that was going on. And so we kind of left there, you know, knowing that something special and unusual had happened, but not knowing exactly what it was. Well, a couple of months later, they had had a follow-up team doing follow-up work for some of the big events that we'd been hosting. And I remember in the Commission magazine, uh, the magazine that our mission board uh, used to put out, um, there was a story about our team, and it had our pictures and all the places we'd been, all the things we had done. And, and what they had said in that magazine with the missionary work and the follow-up, that over 3,000 people had come to faith in Christ through those events. And, and I just remember kind of stepping back going, wow, I, I'm not sure I can take all of that in. You know, being 
uh, probably at the time 23, 24 years old, uh, thinking that strength, power, physical ability was the way you made your way in the world. And then to realize I had no understanding of what God was doing in that moment, but God was unusually at work. And I think that was one of those first times in my life where I realized, you know, the ways of God are different than the ways of men. The, the, the power of God is very different than the power of a person. And I think that's a really good uh, topic and theme as we kind of continue working our way through the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible, maybe you would just turn there to Acts chapter 1 with me. Uh, last time I was with you, we talked about the mission of the church. And maybe we would just today spend some time talking about the power of the church because the reality is um, the power looks much different than um, sometimes we think that it is. And I think this is a good topic for, for dads on Father's Day because, you know, we love power tools, we love power trucks, we love power suits, power ties. And so the idea of power kind of speaks to us as men. But I think the spiritual challenge, at least for me, comes in that the power is different than what I expect it to be. And let me say on this Father's Day, happy Father's Day to you. And dads, you've done a good thing getting to church. You know, Mother's Day tends to be high attendance Sunday. Did you know that Father's Day tends to be low attendance Sunday in churches? And yet, dads, what you do with your family is so vitally important. Um, just like in the church, man, you know, this series that we're kind of working our way through is the prevailing church. And one of the marks of a prevailing church is that men are actively involved in the work of the church because Acts 19.20 tells us that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And, you know, no matter what happens in culture, what happens in our lives, the ups, the downs, the challenges, you know, the Bible says that the work of God, the Word of God is continuing to prevail in such incredible ways. And, and as we focus in on the power today, I, I want you to make a special note of this idea that um, it's not our physical power or might, men, that we need to be focused upon. It's, it's our spiritual heart and life. I remember reading this in a book by Gary Smalley. Uh, he, he wrote a book called The Hidden Value of a Man. And he said that one of his greatest struggles in life, and, and I certainly can identify with this in my own life of parenting and marriage and my relationships. He said that one of the most difficult challenges was to sheathe the silver sword and to wield the golden sword. And, and his idea was this, is that we learn pride and strength and prowess and ability and, and forging our way in the world. And, and he calls that the silver sword, the sword of the marketplace, as you will, as we kind of have to make our way in the world. But then when we come home, we have to be good at transitioning from the silver sword to the golden sword. And the golden sword is much more that that unconditional love, that blessing, that support, that encouragement. And so the way we oftentimes are required to make our way in the world is sometimes very different than, than it is for us building our lives. And I think for most of us as men, we wrestle with that transition. And he says that both the ride home, Gary Smalley says the ride home and the transition across the threshold of the door to put away the ways of the work world and to open up the ways of the home world is just such an important challenge for us. And I think to, to remember that as we look at 
what is an unexpected power, an unexpected source of power, an unexpected um, expression of power. There's some things here that I think are really, really important to us. And the Bible identifies this. I mean, Zechariah would say, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So the Bible says there's something different about this. Paul would say it this way, in my weakness, you make me strong. And so all of a sudden, we're ready for this idea, hey, you know, as we deal with this idea of power, there's something unique about how that power is expressed. So let's take our Bible and let's read about this. We've read about the mission side of it and focused upon that. Let's read about the power side of it and focus on that dimension. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, if you want to turn on your Bible or open your Bible, the words will also be on the screen. Uh, Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Uh, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so the idea is that not only is the mission assigned, but now a second topic in this passage is that we are given the power to live the Christian life and to live on our mission. And there are really five sources of power in the passage that we've just read. And that's what I want us to focus on today, the the sources of power. And notice what the first one is in that first verse. It's the power of the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. There's a power in the Scripture. Now, we hear as we are introduced again a second time by Luke to his writings in the Bible, and about 25% of the New Testament is written by Luke when you put Luke and his gospel and the book of Acts together. And he's writing this time to Theophilus, the lover of God, probably a real person who's paying for the history of the church, the early church, to be written. And he says to us, hey, I'm writing these words to you so that you can know the story of what God is doing by His Spirit. Now, if you go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 1, you'll also see that he introduces this idea of the Word of God. He talks about a narrative of Jesus' life. He talks about the things Jesus accomplished. He talked about the eyewitness that He was. He interviewed those eyewitnesses and recorded their stories, probably interviewed people like Mary and Jesus' family. And as he interviewed those uh, people, he says he followed closely along with the details for a long period of time in order to give an orderly account and that we might have certainty about these things. 
Now, not only would Luke say that about certainty, but the Apostle John would say the same thing about certainty. He would say that he wrote 1 John so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, the Word of God is given to us for some very specific and powerful things to assure us of Jesus, His life, His work, His ministry, His death, His resurrection. We can step back and, like Theophilus, say that the goal of that is to make us lovers of God. Uh, Luke tells us, like Acts tells us, that it records everything that was done and taught, the, the deeds and the words. In other words, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the transfiguration, the death, the resurrection, but also things like the teaching, the moral, the spiritual, the law, the gospel, what faith and love and all of these important things are all about. And see, the Bible is given to us to accomplish something very unique in our life. I mean, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, help me out, Word of God. And so the Word of God does something powerful in our life. In other words, we ought to be people in the Word because something comes to us from the Word. You know, uh, studies tell us that The single greatest indicator of us being transformed and living a Christian life is whether or not we are reading and studying the Word of God. You know, when we're in the Word of God, there's something transforming that happens in our life. It shapes us, it informs us, it teaches us. But more than just the facts that it teaches us, it teaches us a disposition of, of what we're like as we follow Jesus. It gives us a heart. Listen, when I'm in the Word and listening to the Word, my heart has a different posture before God and others. But when I'm not in the Word, the heart can easily become callous and I can become careless and I can be forgetful about spiritual things. You see, when you're in the Word of God, there is something profound about it. That's why Paul, when he was talking to the young preacher, Timothy, who was at Ephesus, he would say, all Scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable. And then he says it's profitable for four things. It's profitable for teaching and reproof, for correcting and training. Now, interestingly, two of those things tear down, two of those things build up. Two of those things deal with attitude. Two of those things deal with behavior. Paul gives a huge comprehensive look at the Word of God and says this is what it does in our lives. And that's why the Bible says that the Word of God is powerful, that it, that it has an ability And so the first thing that we see, this first characteristic of of power that is different is that it is a power that comes from the Word of God. But there's a second kind of power in this passage. Look at verse 3. He this time talks in verse 3 about how Jesus revealed himself and gave many convincing proofs and appeared many times. I mean, he appeared to the point where they saw him, they knew him, they ate with him, they touched him, they put their hands in his side, they they had memories and recounted stories and all of these kinds of things. And it demonstrated the resurrection power of Jesus. Now, just think about that for a moment. 
somebody that was dead, somebody that had been buried, now was walking the earth again and sharing life together with them. I mean, they were eyewitnesses to what we would say is the single greatest power that has ever been demonstrated in the world. I mean, we've had nuclear bombs, and we've had incredible aircraft, and we've flown out into space, and we've explored the ocean depths. But is there any power like the power to actually give life? And the Bible says that Jesus was alive, born in this world, lived, and then died, was crucified on a cross, put in a grave, but three days later walked away from that grave. And the Bible says that it's that resurrection power that lives in us. That power that brought Jesus out of the grave is the power that is available to us as we live our life in Christ. Paul, when he introduces the book of Romans, he uses that idea of the resurrection power of God. In Romans 1 verse 4, he says, the resurrection declared Jesus to be the Son of God by power. And then later in that same chapter, Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for us to be saved, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And so continually the Bible tells us that the resurrection puts the power of God on display in our life. And that's the power that's available to us. I was reading a study several months ago that uh, described how most people don't have the power to change something in their health habits. Maybe they don't exercise or maybe they don't eat right or that maybe they, you know, have bad habits like smoking or drinking or, you know, doing drugs or whatever else it is they do. And when they come to a doctor and they find out that that is a deadly or dangerous behavior for them and unless they change their behavior, they're going to fall ill to the point of death. Do you know that 90 plus percent of people are unable to change a habit or behavior that's been formed even when they have to because of the willpower that is demanded to make such a change. But do you know, the Bible says that a different kind of power is made available to us in Jesus Christ. I I remember talking to a young man named Todd in a church we pastored previously And he had been a gang member and a drug user and a drug dealer and involved in all sorts of criminal activity. But in prison, when he was reading the Bible, he he came to faith in Christ and he gave his life to Christ. And he said, all of a sudden, the power that had him trapped in all of those destructive behaviors was released. And he said it was one power that overcame them all. It was the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that was now giving him power And do you know today he sits in PhD seminars studying a PhD in theology to be a systematic theology professor at a seminary? And that's the power of the resurrected Jesus to change a life. I mean, all of our our struggles with uh, formation of attitudes and and beliefs and behaviors in, in our childhood to psychological traps and sociological bondage and all those kind God can break all of those things by the power of the resurrection. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has the power to change lives? Jesus demonstrated that he does. And so when I step back and say, oh, I'm I'm living with this trap in my own life. I'm living with this struggle in my own life. It's hard to overcome. It's difficult to deal with. You see, the Bible says we turn to the Word of God. We turn to the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And we say, God, I can't, but I know you can. There is the power of God that is an unexpected power in our lives. 
There's a third kind of power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. He writes about this in verses 4 and 5. He says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Wait for this promise that the Father has promised to give to you. Just like John baptized with water, now you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly the passage from the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2, that Peter preached about when the Holy Spirit came upon them. He said, it shall come to pass that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And that's exactly what he did at Pentecost, and it's what he did in each one of our lives when we trusted Christ. The Bible says we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit came into us. And Jesus in the upper room in John 14 and 16 would explain this to us, and he would tell us of how the, the Holy Spirit would counsel us us and how the Holy Spirit would convict us and how the Holy Spirit would comfort us. And he tells us all of these things that the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit comes to us in a still, small voice, in a gentle spirit. And in that gentle spirit, he does this rich and great work in our life. And the Bible says that when that spirit comes, he begins to direct us. He begins to lead us. He begins to guide us in everything. It's as if he speaks behind us, this is the way of the Lord, walk in it. Maybe today you're needing some direction from the Lord. What you need is the power of the Holy Spirit to guide you, to give you that direction, to listen to the Word of God as the Word speaks behind you, this is the way of the Lord, walk in it. There's a fourth kind of power that he talks about. Look at verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they were thinking that the kingdom being restored, that Jesus resurrecting from the dead was going to mean that Jerusalem was going to become the capital of the world and Israel was going to be the leading nation of the world and going to supplant Rome in its leading position of power and authority and military might, etc., are you at this time, Lord, going to, to do this? And isn't it so easy for, for me to get back into my power structure, for you to get back in your power structure and think, hey, that's what it's all about. But Jesus said, hey, that's not what it's all about. It's not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's like he reminds us of what the kingdom of God is like that the kingdom of God is internal and spiritual, not external and territorial. There's coming a day when the millennial reign of Christ is real and, and Jesus reigns in righteousness and then God the Father rules for all of eternity in truth and power, but that's not the day of this mission age, of this church age. Now it's an internal spiritual kingdom. It's the reign and rule of Christ in my heart forming and fashioning me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's not Israel, it's international. Israel was the racial kingdom that was the one through whom the Messiah would come, but this is an international kingdom of many tribes, many languages, many different people from many different geographies. And of course, it grows in unusual ways. It's not the military marching inch by inch and foot by foot and mile by mile. No, it's God working like yeast through a dough in mysterious and unexpected ways as he teaches us about his kingdom. And it's hard for us to understand these things sometimes. That's why when God says his ways are not our ways, we have to be able to step back and trust God and say, God, you are surely doing things that I do not understand. I remember um, having an aha moment uh, in college about spiritual things. I was part of a college Bible study 
at the university that I went to, and I was also suffering and struggling through calculus. As accounting majors, we had to take calculus. And this uh, one particular class was just blowing all of the business majors' mind. We were in there with a few engineers taking calculus, but it was the, all the accounting majors in the business school that were required to take calculus to have these math skills available to us. And so all the business students kind of hung out together. And, and this one particular girl seemed to fairly early on catch it. The light bulb went on. She figured out kind of the, the, the difference between calculus and math that we had done previously. And she kind of became the, the, the pupil student to us all. She was the, the person sitting beside us that kind of translated what the professor was saying to us and what the book was teaching us. And, and it seemed like one person by one person, the light just came on one after another after another until we understood. And I think for all of us as Christian people, It's easy for us to be in the posture of the apostles. Lord, are you at this time going to supplant the kingdom and establish your work, or is it going to continue to be this unexpected, mysterious working of the kingdom of God? And of course, we know that we're living in the church age, and there is still the unexpected, mysterious work of the kingdom of God. And we have to be okay with that as people. It can unsettle you. It can disquiet you. But you have to believe God at His Word that He is working to accomplish His will and that His will cannot be thwarted. Here's the final thing that He says, verses 9 through 11. And He said these things, they were looking up into the clouds and they were gazing into the heavens and two men in white robes, angels, came and stood beside them and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who's taken up to heaven is going to come again in the same way. And it's almost like He says, hey, get busy because this may be the hardest thing of all, the power to start. The power to start. You see, he not only gives us power to understand and power for insight and wisdom, but he gives us power to actually start, to take a first step, because sometimes that's the most courageous thing that you have to do. I was working with a particular group um, that was zeroed in on this idea of, of power as a spiritual group, and they finally came to this phrase, the power of now. See, we can't do anything about the past. We don't know about the future. But right now, we can do what God is calling and asking us to do. We can plug into His power and let His power be at work in us and in us to change us, in us to transform us, in us us to use us. The question is, what is God wanting to do? And, And I would say, let me give you a few applications. We'll put them up on the screen and let me just mention them briefly and give you a final closing story today. Um, the idea is this, that we wield that power, this kind of power that we're talking about rightly and carefully. Because when I come in with a silver sword to my home, I can do a lot of damage real fast. And in the same way, when we use worldly power to do spiritual things, we can really create all kinds of problems. But when we wield the sword rightly, good things can happen. Like when we wield the sword of the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. We have to believe that. It penetrates, it divides, it sometimes cuts and hurts me, but it's not for me to hurt others, it's for me to let the Word of God be at work within my life. And that spiritual work and transformation is something that the Word of God can do when the Word of God is wielded correctly. We need to wield the sword of the Spirit correctly. 
sensitive to that spirit, like we were learning the fruits of the spirit, not the fruits of the flesh. Boy, it's so easy to tilt into the fruit of the flesh when God wants us to tilt into the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things that are the spiritual works of God. To keep step with that spirit, to walk in that spirit, to maintain that attitude and disposition. What a beautiful, wonderful thing that is. How it blesses our life and it blesses the lives of others that are around us. To wield the sword of wisdom correctly. We've got to not only have knowledge, but the Bible says we've got to have wisdom. We've got to know how to apply that knowledge and the right amount of intensity to apply it with. And we've got to demonstrate that wisdom because we live in a complex world. Here's the final thing. We've got to wield the sword of action. We live in a time, we live in seasons. We live in seasons and according to calendars. In other words, the Lord knows our days and the times in which we live. And we've got to take the time and seize the days that the Lord has given us for the purposes that the Lord has given to us. Have you ever met a truly powerful person? Let me close with this story today. Um, I met a truly powerful person in the sense of worldly power one day at Southcom. Um, In Miami, there is the Southern Command. They call it Southcom. And a number of those uh, Southcom employees in the military were members of our church. And they would ask me to come down and do various things and be a part of retirement parties or special celebrations or promotions and I would get to you know offer a word and prayer and these sorts of things and just be present with some of those people as their pastor in their lives and um, there, there was one particular man that I had shaken his hand several times but didn't really have much interaction with and um, I was there for Don's retirement party it was a colonel that was retiring from the military and I remember this man walked up to me in the midst of all the activity in a large room where the group was gathered, uh, just having a little bit of reception and fellowship time. He came over to me and said, Pastor, can I speak with you? And, you know, a four-star general, he's about 6'5", maybe 250, 260, just a really big guy and, you know, military police walking around with him everywhere. And, and I said, um, absolutely. So we pulled off into a room off the main room and we began to talk. And I think he shared with me what every one of us men have at one point or another, maybe many points in our life, if you're slow to learn like me, have felt. He he said, you know, Pastor, I, I command tens of thousands of men and women and give orders to blow up bombs have nuclear arsenals at my disposal, tanks and battalions. And he said, I know how to use that power. He said, but I am struggling with the power of how I interact with my children who are grown, with my wife that I relate to. He said, is what I'm saying making any sense? And I just stood there and went, 110%. I can identify with that. You you see, it's one thing to make our way in the world. It's a completely different thing to make our way spiritually. And, and, And we all have those sensitive places in our life. We all have those significant struggles in our life. But you see, when the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the wisdom of God and the start that God gives us all get put in place... And we wield that spiritual work 
the way God intends. Guys, that's where the blessing is found. That's where real power is found. And if you're like me, you've messed that up plenty of times in your life where you struggle to find that right nature of doing things. But can I call you back to what God calls us back to in this passage of Scripture? Apostles, don't misunderstand the nature, the power, and the work that God's doing. God has a spiritual work, and it looks very different than the worldly work that sometimes we do. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? So bow our head and close our eyes. Our worship team comes to lead us. Maybe there are some of us in the room, me included, that just need to say, Lord, help me. Help me to see the power that you give differently than the power that I sometimes like to take. God, help me with spiritual mindedness, not earthly mindedness. God, help me to not be afraid to start. Help me not be afraid to engage. Help me not be afraid to be present. Maybe those are some of the prayers that some of us need to pray today. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And I I don't know what your response is to a moment like this. Maybe it's just to stand right where you are and take a moment with the Lord and say, God, help me wield the spiritual sword. Help me with these words, practice my faith and love my family and do my work in ways that please you. Maybe there's a decision you need to make that you need some help with. Our pastors are all over the auditorium today. I'm here at the front. Eric's there in the back. and You can find either one of us either now or after our song is over and talk. But here's what I would say. For all of us to have a soft and pliable heart before the Lord. You know, that's really what one of the real secrets for the apostles in that moment was. They had been with Jesus and their hearts were soft, not hard. And when our hearts are soft before the Lord, the Lord's Spirit can do just amazing works in our life. So I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. We'll stand, we'll sing. If you need to respond either now or after the music is over, you can do so. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word today, which reorients us around this idea of power in new and fresh ways, different from the world, but true to the Spirit. Lord, we pray today that as we wrestle with these things, that your spirit would work, guide us, counsel us, encourage us, let your word instruct us, and may our hearts be receptive to it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.